Our family of listeners is growing every week. Thanks for listening live and through all our digital broadcasting channels. Spread the word to your friends to join our weekly conversation. It's time to think about the Bible like you never have before. This is Christian Questions, our website, ChristianQuestions.com. Here's Rick and Jonathan. Jackson Brown Jr. once said, Live so that when your children think of fairness, caring, and integrity, they think of you. Welcome to Christian Questions. I'm Rick, and this is not your typical Christian commentary as we look at Bible-related topics from a different perspective. And you might say that ours is a long-term approach, as we've been broadcasting the good news of the gospel for over 19 years. I'm Jonathan, and that long-term different perspective has its basis in three things. Godly principles, family values, honest dialogue, always done in a politically free zone. Rick, today is our 1,005th broadcast, and we've talked the gospel with listeners on several talk radio stations throughout the eastern and central United States for many years. And we figured it was time to bring the good news to the whole world by way of podcasting, so here we are. We thank you for joining us today. This is a contact-friendly format, and we welcome your thoughts via email, website messages, Facebook, our chat board, and all that stuff. So let's get started. Jonathan, what's on the table today? Well, Rick, our question is, does God bless us when we act in an unrighteous way? And our theme text is found in 1 Samuel chapter 21, verse 8. David said to Ahimelech, Now is there not a spear or a sword on hand? For I brought neither my sword nor my weapon with me, because the king's matter was urgent. Okay, so it's about, does God bless us when we act in an unrighteous way? And and Jonathan, I remember when I was a kid and was faced with the potential consequences, oh wait, they weren't consequences, nothing. I I mean, I was faced with getting punished, okay? When I was faced with getting punished for my actions, there was often that moment that every kid dreads. I had to tell my dad or my mom what I did. Now look, they already knew what I did. They were teaching me to own what I did. Anyway, at those fateful and fearful moments, my dad would often say, Rick, tell the truth and shame the devil. (laughs) And this was never easy for, it reminded me that God is pleased with truth and the devil is pleased with lies. And even though lying seemed like a get out of jail free card, it was really an out of the frying pan and into the fire card. Guidelines are easier when you're a kid. As adults, how well do we do when faced with the gray areas and the white lies of life? Do we have resolve? Is it strong? What's it based on? Can God bless us when in those gray areas? Rick, in those fearful times as a child, uh, reminded me of uh, Hebrews 12, 9 through 12. Discipline for the moment seems not to be joyful, but sorrowful. Yet, to those who have been trained by it, Afterwards, it yields the peaceable fruits of righteousness. And obviously, you learned your lessons well. Oh, boy. They were some lessons. I might tell a story or two as we go through this, but it wasn't pleasant at the time. It was that feel red-faced and like, oh, man, I'm cooked. There's no way out. Listen, folks, it's always our objective with each subject that we choose to approach it in a biblical and very relevant, practical way. We search out the original context of the scriptures that we cite. We try to find their true meaning and combine those scriptures with the pressing issues of our day to give you something to really think about. And today is no exception. Don't forget, simply go to ChristianQuestions.com. 
and click listen live for the live audio and chat room. Chat with fellow listeners around the world, and we may even include your comments on air. Okay, so we're going to be talking about telling the truth. And, you know, this is a broad subject. We're going to focus in on some very specific things today with this subject. We're going to start with a soundbite that in the beginning almost sounds like, well, what are you talking about this for? But it has a powerful, powerful lesson that's going to carry on throughout the podcast today. This is a gentleman by the name of Matthew O'Reilly. It was a TED Talk that he gave, uh, Am I Dying? And then the honest answer. And he is a... uh, um, a first uh, uh, responder, uh, goes to accidents and tragedies and things and deals with people that are in really tough situations. So here his, is his introduction to his TED Talk, Am I Dying? The Honest Answer. I've been a critical care EMT for the past seven years in Suffolk County, New York. I've been a first responder in a number of incidents ranging from car accidents to Hurricane Sandy. If you're like most people, death might be one of your greatest fears. Some of us will see it coming. Some of us won't. There's a little-known documented medical term called impending doom. It's almost a symptom. As a medical provider, I'm trained to respond to this symptom like any other. So when a patient having a heart attack looks at me and says, I'm going to die today, we are trained to reevaluate the patient's condition. Throughout my career, I have responded to a number of incidents where a patient had minutes left to live, and there was nothing I could do for them. With this, I was faced with a dilemma. Do I tell the dying that they are about to face death, or do I lie to them to comfort them? You know, that's the kind of dilemma that most of us don't ever have to face, and, and that's a big one. That's a big question to ask yourself. That is. And, and that's what got my personal attention, you know, in terms of our podcast today about, you know, acting in an unrighteous way and lying in truth and so forth. So, you know, that's going to kind of be a sub-story as we go through our podcast today. You want to stick, stick with us and hear how, what, how he works through this, through his, his career. For us, though, Jonathan, from a scriptural standpoint, we're going to focus on a series of events in the early life of David while he was in his 20s. Now, being in your 20s, that's a, that, you're a young person. You are. And you make a lot of mistakes, Rick, in your 20s. Yeah. But, you know, David did a lot of heroic things as well. True. He was anointed by Samuel to be king of Israel, but was still in service to King Saul. King Saul had been previously anointed, fell out of favor with God. David was anointed to take the throne. And, you know, so he, but, and he's working for King Saul. David, in this part of his life, is a hero of Israel, as well as a perceived threat to the king. He finds himself in several very difficult situations and seems to, in many cases, lie his way through them. And now you think about it. David is a man after God's own heart. And we're saying, in many cases, David lied his way through some of his difficulties. We have to look at that and understand what's going on. And is lying okay when you're in a tough spot? Is that what the scriptures are teaching us? So... Mm. (laughs) Good question. <laughs> it is a good question. Just a little bit more background, a little more uh, a, a com- Matthew Henry's commentary just on, we're going to be looking at 1 Samuel chapter 20. So a little introduction to 1 Samuel chapter 20. David, having several times narrowly escaped Saul's fury, begins to consider at last whether it may not be necessary for him to retire into the country and take up arms in his own defense. But he will not do so daring a thing without consulting his faithful friend, Jonathan. Okay, so David's life has already been threatened several times by King Saul. 
Uh, and King Saul actually, uh, at least once or twice anyway, threw a spear at him trying to, you know, pin him to a wall. So you know that somebody's after you. Let's understand that. So David explains his fear. And we're in 1 Samuel chapter 20. He explains his fear uh, for his life to Jonathan, his friend, who also happens to be King Saul's son. So just a couple of points on David in his context, Jonathan. Well, Rick, David earlier slew Goliath. David is a mighty warrior for Saul and for Israel. And lastly, David has been in great favor with the king. Right. So David is the is the military hero of Israel, starting with slaying Goliath when he was a teenager, and now in the service of the king, just doing doing leading leading men into battle and overcoming the enemy and all of this. And the king really loved him and gave the king gave David his daughter to marry. Okay, so I mean it was good until it went bad. And so, you know, and now David is, is, is in fear for his life. So we're going to drop in on 1 Samuel chapter 20, verses 4 to 8, and take a look at a fabrication that David comes up with because he's in trouble again with King Saul, who, seems, who is seemingly trying to kill him. 1 Samuel chapter 20, let's do verses 4 to 8. Let's go actually 4 to 6 to start with. Then Jonathan said to David, whatever you say, I will do for you. So David said to Jonathan, Behold, tomorrow is the new moon, and I ought to sit down to eat with the king. But let me go, that I may hide myself in the field until the third evening. If your father misses me at all, then say, David earnestly asks leave of me to run to Bethlehem, his city, because it is the yearly sacrifice there for the whole family. All right, let's pause there for a second, because David tells Jonathan, I'm not showing up for dinner in this feast of the next three days. I'm afraid that he's going to try to kill me. Tell your father a lie if he asks where I'm going. Yeah, So, and this is the son of Saul. Yes. That's supposed to tell this lie. Yes, okay. So, All right. So he says, tell him, tell Tell him a story. Tell him a story. I'm going to hide in the field, but tell him I went to Bethlehem to be with my family. So, uh, that, Jonathan, that, that's a lie. You know, th- let's just face the fact that is an absolute deception. Well, Rick, maybe David's family does do that, even though he wasn't planning to be there. Uh, so is that maybe a half-truth? Oh, good try, but I don't think so. <laughs> because he says... That tell him that I went to be with my family. It doesn't matter whether his family was there. The point was, he's saying, tell him I went to Bethlehem when I'm going to be out in the field checking out the situation. So uh, let's continue with verses 7 and 8 of uh, 1 Samuel 20. If he says it is good, your servant will be safe. But if he is very angry, know that he is deceived, has deceived on evil. Therefore, deal kindly with your servant, for you have brought your servant into a covenant of the Lord with you. But if there is iniquity in me, put me to death yourself. For why then should you bring me to your father? So this is interesting here because he's so sure that Saul's trying to kill him. He said, you know, if if the king responds like, okay, that's a good thing, then okay, I know he's not after me. But if he gets angry, I know that he's already decided he wants to kill me. He said, so I want you to tell him this lie, and I'm doing a lot of paraphrasing here, so that we can flush out what he's thinking. 
I want you to tell them this fib, this story, this white lie, whatever you want to call it, it's not true, so that we can understand things. And um, and, and then in verse 8, David is talking to Jonathan about Jonathan and David, because these two are fast friends. And he says, deal kindly with your servant. And you notice that David is talking to Jonathan as his superior, because he's the king's son. Okay, see, that's an important aspect of this. That is, even though he was anointed by God to be right. the next king. That's interesting. Right. He's not the next king, and he realizes he knows his station. And he said, look, if I've done, he says, because you have made me make a promise of a fidelity to you and a promise to be honest with you. And he said, and if I've done something wrong that your father is trying to kill me, then just kill me here. If I don't deserve to live, fine, I'll accept that. Just then, then you take my life now. So this is a serious issue. This is not something that is easy for, for David to work through. I mean, imagine being in a position where somebody's after your very life and you are serving that individual. You've won battles for that individual. You fought alongside of that individual. In their madness, you've played music to calm that individual and they are ruthlessly trying to kill you. This is what David's faced with in his 20s. So David tells Jonathan to tell the king a made-up story, and Jonathan agrees. So now is Jonathan party to a lie that David mm-hmm. made up? Sounds like it. Okay, so what do you do with that? Is God telling us, hey, it's okay to lie if you're in a tight spot? Questions, a lot of questions, no answers yet. So here, another question, was David being devious? Well, there's a proverb that says you shouldn't do that. Proverbs 14, verse 2. He who walks in his uprightness fears the Lord, but he is is devious in his ways, despises him. So the comparison is those who walk upright. In other words, you are you 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 are living in integrity versus those who are devious. And it says in the proverb, he says, "Who is devious? His ways despise him." In other words, you know, uh, um, God does not have a good place in his heart for somebody who is devious. So you got to ask yourself, was David being devious? Because remember, David's a man after God's own heart. He's telling a story here that's not true. What are we supposed to make of it? So in the middle of this, Jonathan, let's throw a soundbite in just to mess up the works even more. Okay. <laughs> okay. <laughs> we're going to go back. We, we were talking about D News last week with our last uh, podcast. When is it okay to lie? Now, this is a very, very 21st century approach to lying. Okay. Not that I like it, but we're going to play it anyway. So let's listen. Hey there, liars. Trace here for D News. My mom always warned me about lying by telling fables and stories and anecdotes. But as I got older, I began to learn that little lies can be good too. So what's the truth? Is lying bad or good? A new study in the Proceedings of the Royal Society B looked at the effects of deception in social networks. And according to their research, white lies specifically smooth the flow of interactions and facilitate a larger, more integrated social group. Basically, they're saying that white lies are good. A study published in the Journal of Basic and applied psychology found that we lie 2.92 times every 10 minutes. That's a lot of fibbing. A white lie is a harmless or trivial falsification, usually told to avoid hurting someone's feelings. The researchers call this a pro-social lie, and they're the good kind. Lies told that are destructive or deceptive, those are anti-social lies, and they do the exact opposite. They weaken the bonds between individuals, and they break down social structure. 
So they're saying, well, you know, science shows that some lies are good because they knit society together. Let me just say one little thing. Just because something knits society together doesn't mean it's necessarily good. If you're knitting society <laughs> together with corruption, then you've got a well-knit corrupt society. I don't know. It just doesn't make sense to me. <laughs> me neither. <laughs> yeah, but again, now we're talking about David. Is he is he lying and is God okay with it? Was David being wise? We asked the question before the soundbite. Was he devious? Well, was David being wise? Proverbs 14, verse 3, the next verse in Proverbs, talks about the importance of wisdom. In the mouth of the foolish is a rod for his back, but the lips of the wise will protect them. So in the mouth of the foolish... You know, you're going to get smacked in the back with what you say if you're being foolish. Uh, but if you're, you're, if you are wise in your words, those words will be protective to you. So now, is David being wise? Is he being devious? Is he lying? Is it God-sanctioned lying? And is there such a thing? I mean, these are all the things that we have to look at. Jonathan, as Christians, as Christians, let's forget David for a moment. As Christians, we need to have an honest heart. Let's look at Luke eight fifteen. But the seed and the good soil, these are the ones who have heard the word in an honest and good heart and hold it fast and bear fruit with perseverance. So whatever, whatever the answer is with David, we have to focus on the idea of having a good heart. And that is that wise heart that's not a devious heart. So look, as we wrap this segment up, it's always so easy to answer questions theoretically because there are no details. You're right, but reality is where we live. So far, all we are seeing are shades of gray. Isn't righteousness simply black and white? We're podcasting live every Monday night from 8 to 9.30. You can talk to us direct through our chat at ChristianQuestions.com. We also welcome your comments or questions any day of the week. Just hit the Contact Us button. We're now out of the starting gate. Let's pick up the pace for tonight's topic. You know, we are up to this point only asking questions and not drawing many conclusions. As we shall see in this next segment, what may seem to be an easy conclusion on the surface can have mitigating circumstances and unforeseen details that not only need to be noticed, these details need consideration. Well, Rick, if we need details uh, that need consideration, we need to go to ChristianQuestions.com and sign up for CQ Rewind. Hit the newsletter sign-up tab and register for CQ Rewind Outline full of graphics, illustrations. It's a topical Bible study, and it'll really help you step-by-step learn each one of our podcasts. All right. And again, you can get that through your app, your Christian Questions app as well. CQ Rewind, the full edition, it is a free service. If you don't like it, you can unsubscribe with the click of a button, and nobody will bother you. But uh, there's a lot of things here, Jonathan, in today's podcast that are really important as we build the case for acting righteously and trying to define what that actually means. Let's go back to Matthew O'Reilly. Remember, he's a first responder, and he is faced with this dilemma. When people are dying, and they ask him, am I going to die? What is he supposed to tell them? Yep, you're toast? Or is he, should he lie to them to comfort them in those last moments of their life? That's a, that's a tough dilemma. Let's, this next soundbite's a little bit long, but he's explaining his thinking and his process here. Early in my career, I faced this dilemma by simply lying. I was afraid. I was afraid if I told them the truth that they would die in terror, in fear, just grasping for those last moments of life. That all changed with one incident. 
Five years ago, I responded to a motorcycle accident. The rider had suffered critical critical injuries. As I assessed him, I realized that there was nothing that could be done for him. And like so many other cases, he looked me in the eye and asked that question: "Am I going to die?" In that moment, I decided to do something different. I decided to tell him the truth. I decided to tell him that he was going to die, and that there was nothing I could do for him. His reaction shocked me to this day. He simply laid back and had a look of acceptance on his face. He was not met with that terror or fear that I thought he would be. He simply laid there, and as I looked into his eyes, I saw inner peace and acceptance. From that moment forward, I decided it was not my place to comfort the dying with my lies. That's an incredible conclusion to come to. That is. It's a tough, tough, tough thing. I can't imagine being the person who is often there when somebody is to breathe their last through a tragedy. You know, it's different when somebody is 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 very ill, and you know, maybe you're a caretaker, and 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 they're expiring. But you know, in in accidents and all of these things where it's so unexpected and so unfair and all of that. And to, to come to that conclusion must have had some very, very powerful things behind it. And again, we'll get back to that throughout uh, today's podcast, so, so stay with us. And, and here, 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 here are the, the details that put that decision together. Getting back to David now, King David, well, not King David, he's anointed to be king. But David and Jonathan, remember, are talking about this lie that they're going to tell to flush out whether King Saul wants to kill David or not. So David and Jonathan work out their plan and a way to communicate secretly. Both David and Jonathan realize that they're both in danger of death, and they swear fidelity to each other. So now as we go through this next segment, we're going to ask the question a couple of times, two or three times, is the following action a righteous action or an unrighteous action? Let's look at David and Jonathan working together with that question in mind. Is this action righteous or not? 1 Samuel 20, 13 to 17. Let's just take 13 to start. If it please my father to do you harm, may the Lord do so to Jonathan and more also, if I do not make it known to you and send you away, then you may go in safety. And may the Lord be with you as he has been with my father. So this is interesting because Jonathan tells David. Now, Jonathan is Saul's son. And he tells David, if the king wants to kill you and I don't tell you, may my life be forfeit. So he is showing David that I will have loyalty to you if my father has turned mad to the point of wanting to take your life because it's not reasonable. You've done nothing wrong. You are the hero of Israel. You are anointed to be the next king, but you are a hero, and I will be, I will be faithful to you because of that anointing and because of the righteousness. So, you know, right there you see Jonathan's righteousness just rising up to the top. Yeah, that's integrity. Yeah. Um, unbelievable. And that's and, tough. And he should have been next in line for kingship, and, but right. that doesn't matter. Right. Right, and see, that's one of the amazing parts of the friendship between David and Jonathan. Okay, verses 14 through 17 of 1 Samuel 20. If I am still alive, will you not show me thy loving kindness of the Lord, that I may not die? You shall not cut off your loving kindness from my house forever, nor even when the Lord cuts off every one of the enemies of David from the face of the earth. So Jonathan made a covenant with the house of David, saying, May the Lord require it at the hands of David's enemies. 
Jonathan made David vow again because of his love for him, because he loved him as he loved his own life. So Jonathan is saying to David, look, this is dangerous for both of us. And if I should meet my end in being honest with you and having integrity and doing the right thing, promise me, promise me you will take care of my family. Promise me. Wow. And you know, afterwards, Jonathan does die an untimely death. And he does have a son who is handicapped. And the scriptures show us how David takes that boy in and takes care of him for the rest of his life. So it really is he touching. He fulfilled his promise. Absolutely that, that's awesome. Did. He absolutely did. So look, there's great righteousness and integrity in the action between these two individuals. They're both young. This is at the, at the in, in a really awkward situation because the king of Israel is looking, David thinks, looking to kill the next anointed king of Israel. And that, like you said, the next anointed king is not his own son, which he figures, you know, Saul figures he should be. So the covenant of protection and care that these two men made was absolutely righteous and i would add pretty inspiring absolutely you know and it was based on the knowledge that david was god's chosen it was based on being faithful to god's ways and it was based on protecting the sanctity of life so now the day comes where the feast is supposed to begin now in this feast david's supposed to show up and sits at the table with saul On the first day, David doesn't show up because he said he wasn't going to. He's going to hide in the field. But Saul doesn't say anything because Saul's thinking, well, he'll show up. Something must have come up. He'll be here. All right. On the second day, when David's not at the feast, Saul asks Jonathan of David's absence. And now the lie, now the made-up story is put in place. And the question is, is this a righteous Action. So let's kind of listen to the 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 made up story being put in place. Now you're talking to the king. Here's what happens. First Samuel twenty verses uh, twenty eight and twenty nine. Jonathan said uh, and answered Saul. David earnestly asked leave of me to go to Bethlehem, for he said, "Please let me go, since our family has a sacrifice in the city, and my brother has commanded me to attend." And now, if I have found favor in your sight, please let me go away that I may see my brothers. For this reason, he has not come to the king's table. Okay, there's an intact lie right there, isn't there? There is. All right, and we know that David didn't go to Bethlehem. Now, like you said, maybe his family went. Does that count? No. (laughs) No, it really, really, you know, and folks, we're going to be honest here. We want to be honest with it. You know, that's one of the beautiful things about the Bible. It tells you the way things happened. It doesn't candy coat it. It doesn't, it doesn't take away, you know, guilt where there's guilt. So the question is, is this a righteous action? Is this a good thing for David to have done? To have told Jonathan to tell a story that wasn't true and for Jonathan to repeat that story that wasn't true, both of them knowing it wasn't true. So now... And, and lying to the king could take your life. It absolutely positively could absolutely positively so let's start with getting some answers because all we've been doing is asking questions and avoiding the issue well we haven't been avoiding we're laying the groundwork really at the risk of sounding wishy-washy or even hypocritical drum roll please (laughs) i'm gonna say yes it was righteous for him to do that really yeah okay Okay. Yeah. All right. And and you know you're listening to that. Say what? Because we are so always so so clear and so focused. So 
obviously, you know, as Ricky Ricardo used to say to Lucy, Lucy, you got some splaining to do. And <laughs> so we're going to do some splaining as we go through the rest of these verses and try to put it together. And folks, listen carefully, because I think there is a legitimacy to what happens now. Verse 30 and 31 of First Samuel 20. Jonathan told the lie. Here's Saul's reaction. Then Saul's anger burned against Jonathan, and he said to him, You son of, of a perverse, rebellious woman, do I not know that you are choosing the son of Jesse to your own shame and to the shame of your mother's nakedness? For as long as the son of Jesse lives on the earth, neither you nor your kingdom will be established. Therefore now send and bring him here to me, for he must surely die. Well, there is a pretty blunt bold clear statement that's an angry man yeah he he's he's lost it with with hatred yes. towards david absolutely positively has he's he is he's got this this unmitigated hatred toward david and and it's and it's it, it sounds out of control you know and he says just like you said earlier jonathan for as long as the son of jesse lives on this earth you'll not be king see he knows that he's been replaced because he sinned against God. And Samuel told him, this day is your throne, is your, is your kingship taken from you, even though he was still sitting in the position because he decided to do things without Samuel's consent. That's a whole different story. And now he is utterly angry. And he does want David dead. And he tells Jonathan unequivocally, bring him here. I know he's somewhere. I know you're hiding him. And he's, he's wickedly angry at his son. I well, Rick, Rick, Jonathan now sees that David's fears were justified. Yeah. And, yeah, and justified. Right. So because David, Jonathan was saying, no, he doesn't want to kill you like, come on. He's just mad. You know, come on. It's not that way. No, it is that way. So Jonathan sees that. And now what he does is he's a, he's a strong man. He's young, but he's, he's bold and he's got integrity and he stands up to Saul and he addresses the issue of Saul's rage. Let's look at, again, 1 Samuel chapter 20, verses 32 to 34. This is Jonathan standing up to his father, the king. But Jonathan answered Saul, his father, and said to him, Why should he be put to death? What has he done? Then Saul hurled his spear at him to strike him down. So Jonathan knew that his father had decided to put David to death. Then Jonathan arose from the table in fierce anger and did not eat food on the second day of the new moon, for he was grieved over David because his father had dishonored him. So not only does Jonathan have the courage to stand up against his father, his, I'm, and, and you know, you imagine, again, I don't know the, the situation, but it, it was probably a long table and Jonathan is, you know, maybe 10, 15, 20 feet down the table. You know, the king is at the head of the table. And when he asks, where is David? Jonathan probably stands up, tells the lie, and then Saul loses his mind. And then he picks up a spear and he throws it to try to kill his son. Glad his son was 20 and very nimble <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and agile and was able to avoid that spear. And, and you know, and then you see that, that, that Jonathan's not a wimp. It says that he was, he was deeply angry. And he, you know, he rose from the table in fierce anger. And he, and he went out from there because now he understands what David was so worried about. And he realizes David was right. So, and this, this really does show us the depth of his loyalty to righteousness. David didn't do anything wrong. 
And when Saul demanded his presence so he could have him executed, Jonathan's response is, why? What did he do? So he is very loyal to righteousness. So if he's so loyal to righteousness, what's this with the lie? You know Exactly. Let's get back to that. <laughs> You've got some explaining to do. That's right. That's right. There was still a story made up right. that wasn't true. All right. How can Jonathan's lie be righteous? Is it because Saul was not in his right mind and it's therefore justifiable? Does that mean that, well, if somebody's, you know, kind of losing their mind, it's okay to say whatever we gotta say to to calm them down? Is that what that's saying? Or, or is it because it revealed truth? It, are, are lies appropriate when they're they're set up to reveal truth? Uh, is it because it kept David safe, because it prever- preserved a life? What are the reasons, and you can notice that I'm not answering the question yet. No, you're not. <laughs> I'm still waiting for your explaining. <laughs> yeah, it's coming, I promise. It's coming, okay? Uh, but it's just really important to, to, to look at all the potentials because these are the roads that we would go down. We would look at this experience and say, oh, you know, God is obviously behind this, so it's okay because of the all of these different kinds of things. Well, maybe, maybe not. Let's just take a slight detour, and I promise the answer is coming in the next segment. I promise, okay? Okay. Okay, I All promise. Right. Uh, you know, uh, let's look at Proverbs twelve nineteen. Truthful lips will be established forever, but a lying tongue is only for a moment. So again, another proverb, another scripture that says you need to be truthful. And in all of this, I just said a few minutes ago that, yeah, I think that this, this, this story that was made up and told was a, was a righteous act. Now, why? It's, it's just on the surface, it's out and out contradictory. Okay. As a matter of fact, let's talk about Christianity for a moment. Because as Christians, you know, in the first segment, we said that as a Christian, you need to have an honest heart. And we're going to review all of these in the last segment. But the second point as a Christian is we have to have an honest reputation as well. Acts chapter 6, verse 3. Wherefore, brethren, look ye out among ye for seven men of honest report, full of the Holy Spirit and wisdom, whom we may appoint over this business. Now, Rick, in the context of Acts 6, the elders were overwhelmed with responsibilities and duties, and the widows uh, in the church were being neglected. And they realized, hey, we need to fix this problem. So let's find seven men, deacons, seven deacons that will appoint to make sure we don't drop the ball on these widows that have needs that we can't tend to. So they didn't just pick seven individuals that were in attendance. They wanted seven individuals that had men of honest report, full of the Holy Spirit, full of wisdom. So they were sort of the cream of the crop. They wanted the very best for doing this particular service. And I think there's there's great, uh, great value in that. Honest reputation. Folks, as Christians, we have to focus on building and keeping an absolutely honest reputation. So now back to the to the question of, of the lie, you know, with, with David and Jonathan, you know, you got to ask yourself, is this the classic, the answer is right until I say that the answer is wrong? Let's examine that as we always respond to situation ethics negatively. Are we now on that road that we don't like? As we try to stay on track with research, sometimes you go down unexpected roads. That's part of education, debates, and differing opinions. You just can't take everyone at their word, and oftentimes you have to consider the other side of the story. That's why we're always asking our listeners to give their opinions on the questions we're answering. Message us at ChristianQuestions.com or through the Christian Questions app. Speaking of the other side... 
Time to go in reverse with a CQ contradiction. It's really easy to conclude that we're setting up a double standard. Thinking about that, a double standard may not necessarily be a bad thing, but there is one great big giant if. The big giant if revolves around hard, fast, immovable principles of righteousness. Stay within those principles and you will act righteously. So now, are we talking about a double standard here? Because you got to be careful with such things because they can easily spin right out of control. Great quote here from Larry Hagman, Jonathan. Once you get rid of integrity, the rest is a piece of cake. (laughs) (laughs) And that's so true. That is so, so true. Well, Rick, how about social media with integrity? Okay. Go to CQ Podcast on Facebook or CQ Bible Podcast on Instagram or CQ Bible Podcast on Twitter and CQ Bible Podcast on YouTube. That's all one word, CQ Bible Podcast, social media used for good. All right. Used with integrity, used for righteousness. And no, you know, and, and, I, and I feel a need to say at this moment, Jonathan, we are not advocating lying. All right. We're not. But I said that the lie that David told, I thought was a righteous action. And I still have to explain that. So let's go to an example. Okay. Let's start to get to the explanation. Consider this example. Everybody remembers the story of Gideon, right? Yes, but did we want to do need forgiveness first? Yes, we did, Jonathan, and that's why you get the big bucks. (laughs) (laughs) Actually, you and I get paid the same, right? Right, we do. Yeah, we do. We get paid blessings from the Lord. (laughs) Blessings from the Lord, and I would not do this for any other any other amount than blessings from the Lord. So you're right. Let's go back to Matthew O'Reilly. And again, he said he decided that he would not lie to people when they asked him if they were going to die. He's a first responder and meets a lot of this. And now he's going into the explanation of the things that are underneath the surface. Having responded to many cases since then where patients were in their last moments and there was nothing I could do for them, in almost every case, they have all had the same reaction to the truth of inner peace and acceptance. In fact, there are three patterns I have observed in all these cases. The first pattern always kind of shocked me. Regardless of religious belief or cultural background, there's a need for forgiveness. Whether they call it sin or they simply say they have a regret, their guilt is universal. I had once cared for an elderly gentleman who was having a massive heart attack. As I prepared myself and my equipment for his imminent cardiac arrest, I began to tell the patient of his intimate demise. He already knew by my tone of voice and body language. As I placed the defibrillator pads on his chest, prepping for what was going to happen, he looked me in the eye and said, I wish I had spent more time with my children and grandchildren instead of being selfish with my time. Faced with imminent death, all he wanted was forgiveness. That's a powerful thought. And, and the, the interesting thing is, Matthew O'Reilly would have never heard that from this man if he had lied to him. So That's by right. telling the truth, he gave the man the opportunity for those last moments to seek some kind of peace, to, to express things that were really close to his heart. And that's so touching. And it's so touching because it's about being righteous and doing the right 
thing. Not the thing that's comfortable, but the right thing. So let's get back to, you know, again, David and Jonathan fabricated this lie together. This lie was told, was it a good thing? I said, yeah, it was. Now, why would I say that? Now let's consider the example of Gideon. Remember, Gideon had an army that was going to go against, uh, I guess it was the Midianites. And uh, their army was how many How many soldiers? Uh, what was it? 10,000? Yeah, they had at least 10,000 to start with. But God whittled it down to 300 men to go against an army of tens of thousands. Now, what are you doing? Well, this, Judges 7, 19 through 22, we know that Gideon wins the battle with his 300 men. This is a principle of righteousness from God. Let's listen to what happens here. Because what they do is they create a massive military deception. Let's see how this works. So Gideon and the hundred men who were with him came to the outskirts of the camp at the beginning of the middle watch. And when they had just posted the watch, they blew their trumpets and smashed the pitchers that were in their hands. When the three companies blew the trumpets and broke the pitchers, they held the torches in their left hands and the trumpets in the right hands from blowing and cried, a sword for the Lord and for Gideon. Each stood in his place around the camp and all the army ran, crying out as they fled. When they blew 300 trumpets, the Lord set the sword one against another, even throughout the whole army, and the army fled. Now, this was a classic military deception because if you hear the trumpet, your thought as a military person is, is that guy with the trumpet has one, two, or 300 men behind him. And if you're surrounded by 300 trumpets and the noise of the pitchers being shattered, you're thinking, we are about to be overrun. And there was such confusion in the camp, they started fighting one another and they were routed by 300 men. Classic military deception. And it was designed and sanctioned by God. God Was that honest? <laughs> okay. And you know, so now you're asking the question, is God honest? And so this is important. And this is how we begin to understand this issue clearly. Let's look at God's law in the Old Testament. It's summed up in the Ten Commandments. Now look, the Ten Commandments don't touch on every aspect of the law, obviously. They're ten major, major, major principles. But how did the Ten Commandments manage things like war and like lies? Well, let's look at a few of the commandments, Exodus 20, 13 to 16. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. Now, notice it's, there was no thou shalt not kill. No, it's thou shalt not murder. All right. So the question is why? Well, because God set this law up in a time of sin, in a time of a nation needing to protect itself. So killing was actually acceptable because it was a necessary tool of survival. You know, it says there was no thou shalt not lie, was there? No, there wasn't. It said, Rick, thou shalt not bear false witness. So well, the, why? Well, again, why would God not say thou shalt not lie? Now, look, a lot of the Proverbs, we've already discussed them, talk about you shouldn't lie. So are we nitpicking the Ten Commandments and trying to do, do a workaround here? Three really important points, Jonathan, about the law given to Israel. What are they? The law was given to Israel as their perfect guideline for living in an imperfect and violent world. Okay, let's pause there. It's a perfect guideline to help them survive in a violent, imperfect world. So, and, and look, if you want to see violence, read the Old Testament. 
there is amazing violence in the Old Testament. It's, it's nations warring against nations. It's very violent, and that's the way the world was. There's no getting around it. You know, there's no candy coating it. What's the second point? The law was given so they could righteously prosper in their land. Okay, it was given so they would be righteous, they would have integrity, they would have godliness, and they could prosper as a result. And the third point. The law was given so they could righteously defend their land and their lives. So they were given the land, they were given the opportunity to defend the land and their lives, and Jonathan, like it or not, you know, and, and you know, we like to have that really squeaky clean look at things. It, it was bloody because people come, came and, and there were attacks and, and, and there was viciousness and all of that. The Old Testament was about responding to and vanquishing earthly enemies under God's guidance, okay? That's what the Old Testament was about. The law was there to help them protect themselves and live in a godly way. God knew and understood sinfulness and said, this is how you survive in a sinful world. It wasn't the, 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 the pattern that God put in place originally, but this is what we had because of Satan's deception and all of those things. David was drawn into a war between God's anointed ones, and it was a war that David wanted no part of. David responded to Saul as though he was at war with him. And you know, Jonathan, if we go back to the first segment where you read that Matthew Henry commentary, it said that David was considering at this point taking up arms in his own defense because he knew Saul was going to become more and more vicious toward him and send out not just one person or try to just trick him, but try to send an army after him. So David's thinking, so David's a man of war. So he's at war with Saul, even though he doesn't want to be. Okay. So he is, he responded to Saul with a, an appropriate military tactic. You deceive your enemy to try to get the upper hand. And he also wanted answers. Is he truly after me right. to kill me? I need to know for a fact. Right. And he needed Jonathan to know for a fact. Exactly. <laughs> okay. Both. Yeah. So, yeah. but here's the thing about David. Even though he's at war with, oh, Saul is at war with him. He doesn't want to be at war with Saul. He doesn't want to be. First Samuel 26, 9 is a great scripture that helps us see the heart of David here. But David said to Abishai, do not destroy him. For who can stretch out his hand against the Lord's anointed and be without guilt? So David several times came upon Saul where he could have just killed him. When Saul was actively pursuing him with, with, with many, many men. And every time David had the opportunity to take Saul's life, he didn't. Because he said, I will not raise my hand against the Lord's anointed. I don't care how crazy he is. I will not raise my hand against the Lord's anointed. He has to fight. He's employing military tactics. And that's why I think this was appropriate for him. He is in a world where it's about earthly, fleshly things. He's not in the world that we're in. He's not working the way we're working. And I think he had to do that. And I, I don't have a problem with that deception because it wasn't, it was, it, like you said, it was for finding the truth finding out what was really happening so he could properly defend himself. Okay. Well, from King Saul's perspective, it's more like mur wondering to murder David, yes. not kill him, yes. which the law says thou shalt not murder. Right. Uh, so you can see where Saul's coming from such a different angle than David was. Right, and that's a great point. David won't touch the Lord's anointed. Saul exactly. wants to crush the Lord's anointed.
Yes. So big, big difference. Let's go back to D News again. When is it okay to lie? Remember, they're saying, "Well, you know, everybody does it, so it's okay because it helps society pull together." Baloney. You know, let let's let's stop with with that. It, it gets worse here. So let's get, let it get worse. Then we'll see if we can make it get better. Lies can make or break us, y'all. Using mathematical models, the researchers revealed what most of us already know. When an individual participates in antisocial lying, they slowly isolate themselves from their social group, while pro-social liars form stronger bonds and become more integrated. This also extends to online social networks as well. A study at California State University Dominguez Hills looked at lies told on Facebook and found that they are just as varied as lies spoken aloud. How many times have you clicked like without actually liking something online? Maybe you just wanted to support the person, even if you disliked what they had written. Rationalize away, because that's a white lie, sister. Or what if you post a pretty picture of your cruise, but you're seasick the whole time and you omit that from the post? That's a white lie, brah. Whether these are pro-social white lies or anti-social white lies depends on who they are targeting and the intent of the post. So you'll have to figure that out for yourself. The Journal of Consumer Research found that even though they're beneficial to the whole, White lies actually feel like lies to our brain. Okay, okay, all right. For, they, they, a couple of things. First of all, that last statement was really important, okay? Whatever the lie is, it still feels like a lie. But when he right. says when you like something on Facebook and you really don't like it, you're just doing it to support it, that's a lie. That is not a lie. The like thing on Facebook is to show your support, okay? It doesn't mean, liking doesn't mean you have to agree with everything, you know, Jonathan, you like me, but you don't necessarily agree with everything I say, right? That's correct. <laughs> and you, you still like me, right? I do. Oh, good. <laughs> Just checking. Well, well, Rick, let, let's step back. We saw what David and Jonathan did. Now, from us, our perspective, does this mean we as Christians that we'll be acting righteous by using deception as well as we deal with our enemies? And we know what our enemies are, the world, the flesh, and the devil. No, 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 no. Don't even think about. Well, even, why not? Don't even think about going down that road. And see, that's the temptation here. David did it. Rick on Christian right. Question said it was okay. That means I can do it. Stop. Stop. Just stop. Cold here. Ours is a totally different battle. Okay? Our battle is not about land. Or earthly peace. In Israel, it was about land, about earthly peace. Our battle is about faithfulness to a heavenly call and a heavenly kingdom. It has nothing to do with stuff on this earth. Israel's battle had to do with stuff and their crops and protecting their things. Our battle is not about those things. First Corinthians, I'm sorry, Second Corinthians 10.4 from the Rotherham translation. For the weapons of our warfare are not fleshly, but mighty by God unto pulling down of strongholds. You notice that the weapons are mighty, not us. See, I think that's really important. You know, in, 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 the, in the Gideon example, it was a sword of the Lord and of Gideon. Okay? It's David was, was praised. You know, Saul has killed his thousands. David is tens of thousands. It was about the men and about the war and about the victory and, and the earthly context. For us, it's the weapons that are mighty, not us. We don't vanquish our enemies, Jonathan. We overcome them. They were supposed to vanquish their enemies. We're supposed to overcome them. Did, There's a big difference with that. Yeah, there is. It wasn't there a quote that you wanted to drop yeah. in here? Yeah, uh, this quote um, I got from uh, the TV show Monk. A man who only speaks truth has nothing to fear. All right. 
if you I thought own, that was kind of neat. It is. It is. Now let's let's talk about the man who only spoke truth. Let's look at John 18:36. This is Jesus before Pilate and he's on the road to being crucified. What does he say? My kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, then my servants would be fighting so that I would not be handed over to the Jews. But as it is, my kingdom is not of this realm. So he had nothing to fear, but he died as a result of the truth that he told. That's true. You're right. Okay, But by dying, Jesus overcame his enemies. See, that's the difference in our approach versus the Old Testament approach. The Old Testament was to fight and vanquish their enemies. And the New Testament is to overcome them for the sake of the kingdom of God. We don't go face-to-face with Satan. That's not our job. We don't go face-to-face with the world. That's not our job. We are to overcome those things. We can't lessen those things. We overcome them the way Jesus did. Big difference. So as a Christian... You know, we've been talking about honesty as a Christian. As a Christian, we have to provide that which is honest. Romans 12, 17. Recompense to no man evil for evil. Provide things honest in the sight of all men. All right. And, And again, there are so many Christian themes of just general outright honesty that we have to take into consideration. So by saying that David employed a military tactic appropriately does not give us permission to use a military tactic in our lives because the context of our battle is entirely different. We're not protecting our home. We're not protecting our land. It's about, as a matter of fact, Jonathan, dying for the sake of Christ is a glorious thing. That's right. For David, it would have been the worst thing because it was God's anointed. If we are under the anointing, we're supposed to die. Being persecuted for righteousness sake is our goal. So totally different kind of battle. So different ages mean different guidelines and responses. Is it really that easy? Of course not. Let's look (laughs) further. Did David ever take these righteous principles too far and end up crossing a line into unrighteousness? Sometimes our questions and commentary can get complicated. That's part of having a thorough discussion. We'd love to hear your opinion. Contact us now at ChristianQuestions.com. Comment through Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, or our app. Just when you thought we may be figuring this out, let's get more complicated. As with anything that's not easily determined to be black and white, crossing lines that should not be crossed can happen all too easily. David was a man who in the incredible life and death drama of this part of his life did exactly that. He crossed the line and the result ended up utterly tragic for others. This next stage of his story is filled with lessons for us because you know while that last story I can see as a clear-cut military tactic to to find out about your enemy and so forth. I understand that. What we're going to talk about next totally different story. Yeah, yeah, that, that's your cue. That's my cue. <laughs> it is a totally different story. <laughs> go sign up for CQ Rewind so you don't forget the things that I forget. Uh, go to ChristianQuestions.com, hit the newsletter sign up tab, and register for our CQ outline. All right, so you can rewind again, a free service available through your app or through ChristianQuestions.com. It is an awesome, awesome service. All right, thanks for that. Jonathan, this next soundbite, um, 
We're going to come back to Matthew O'Reilly later in this segment. This next soundbite is, is called The Whole Truth, Is It Ever Okay to Lie to Patients? And this is from Roswell Park Cancer Institute. So this is a cancer doctor explaining, talking to patients, and working through the issues of, well, how much do you tell them and when? This is really, really actually quite fascinating. Too much too fast, um, I think uh, it, it doesn't help the situation. I think uh, patients um, find it uh, overwhelming. It doesn't allow you to connect with them on a more personal level because you're, you're breaking it down into, into too many facts and too much data. And you want them to have information, but you also want to have empathy. You want to have time for compassion. You need to leave time for them to respond. If, if, if they need to let something out emotionally, you need to give them time to do that. And I think if you spend the whole time overwhelming them with, with facts and figures, um, you don't allow that you know, emotional part to get addressed properly. And, and, you know, that's an interesting thing because a lot of times people say, well, look, if you only tell part of the truth, you're lying. And that's simply not true. And that's what this cancer doctor is explaining. Too much too fast is overwhelming. You need to give people time and ability to process things. And you shouldn't tell something to a child who is not capable of processing something. I mean, you know, when, when, when we were raising our children, Jonathan, there were, there were many times when I would tell them part of the story, but not the whole story, because I thought, they're just a kid. They can't manage that yet. And by the same token, in getting them to tell me the truth, I would let their mind draw conclusions. For instance, there are sometimes when, when, especially when my daughter Amy was a teenager, she was a handful and a half, and you know, there's a lot of difficulties that we ran into with her, and you know, some of those we've talked about on the on the podcast. But um, she would do things, and I'd find out. Trisha and I would find out about parts of stories. And we know there was a part, we know there was more, but we, I didn't know more. And so I would address the issue, and I'd say, Amy, you know, uh, I understand you were in such and such a place. And she'd say, yeah. i say, and I understand something happened that shouldn't. And she'd say, what do you mean? And so I'd tell her the part that I knew, but I wouldn't tell her that that's all I knew. And I'd say, so I need you to finish the story for me. Because if you tell me, the consequence is going to be different than if I have to come up and tell you. And it called her bluff every time. Wow. And again, it was withholding pieces, allowing her to believe something because I was the dad, she was the kid, she needed to learn a lesson, and we needed to get to the bottom line. So, look, you work truthfully, but allow the mind to go where it's going to go. Go ahead. Well. Our Heavenly Father does the same for us. Yes, he, he does. He only reveals what we can handle yes. at, our, at our level of our maturity. It takes, he, he can't throw it all or we'll be overwhelmed yep. and we'll crumble. Yes. He knows our frame so well. Right. No, and that's a great, great example. So, you know, partial truth for the sake of someone's good is a good thing. Be wise with it, though, okay? So, look, get back to David now. Here's where David messes up royally. David continues to run for his life. Out of his desperation he comes another fabricated story. Now, we're in 1 Samuel chapter 21. He's on the run. He's got a few servants with him. He doesn't have any weapons. He's running for his life. And we're going to get to 1 Samuel chapter 21. Let's do verse 1 to start with. Then we're going to do verses 2 and 3. Then David came to Ahimelech, the priest. And Ahimelech came trembling to meet David and said to him, Why are you alone and no one with you? So Ahimelech is the priest of God. 
He comes to him and he says, you know, what do you show? Everybody knows who David is. David is a warrior for Israel. And he says, look, why are you here by yourself? This doesn't seem right. You never show up without soldiers. You know, you never show up without your, 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 your faithful men with you. So what does David say to him? David said to Himelech, the king has commissioned me with the matter and has said to me, let no one know anything about the matter on which I am sending you and with which I have commissioned you. And I have directed the young men to a certain place. Now, therefore, what do you have on hand? Give me five loaves of bread or whatever can be found. So David tells another lie. He says, well, the king sent me on this ultra secret mission. And here I am. We need food. I need loaves of bread. Just give me whatever you can for me, me and my men. So, Rick, is this another military tactic? Probably is. Probably is. You're dealing with your enemy, right? Okay. Right. You're dealing with your enemy, and you know you're you and you need to eat, and you haven't done anything wrong, and so you know you can. David's a man of war. He's thinking in military ways. There's unquestionably thinking in military ways. So is this acting in a righteous way? Let's hold that question because I think there are questions here that we couldn't have put on the previous story that need to be addressed. So he's talking to a good man, this priest of God. Verses, uh, verse 4 of 1 Samuel 21. The priest answered David and said, there is no ordinary bread on hand, but there is consecrated bread. If only the young men have kept themselves from women. So he's saying, okay, I've got some food here, but, you know, it's just not regular bread. It's bread that has been offered to the Lord. Now it's going to be taken off the table and new bread's going to be put in its place. But still, it's bread that, that you look at from a sacred standpoint. And he says, look, I, I don't want to, I'm not giving it to somebody who's unclean at this point. And what does David say? David answered the priest and said to him, surely women have been kept from us previously, so the priest gave him consecrated bread, for there was no bread there but the bread of the presence. So David came because he and these servants that were with him were hungry, legitimately hungry. He made up a story. Now, you know, you got to ask the question, why did he make up the story to tell Ahimelech? Because he's trying to protect Ahimelech. Because he knows if he tells him, I'm on the run from the king, the king is after me, and Ahimelech helps him, then the king has helped what the king has, uh, or then Ahimelech has helped what the king has determined to be an outlaw. That's sure death for Ahimelech. So David is trying to protect him by telling him a lie. And now it gets, so this gets really protracted here. Like, okay, now what do you do? Okay, the priest trusts David's story and gives him bread. It's success. But is it righteous? But see, and that's the big question. Uh, now, let's continue. Verses 7 and 8, tell, uh, there's a telling part to the story that comes out right here. Now, one of the servants of Saul was there and took the chief of Saul's shepherds. David said to Ahimelech, Now, is there not a spear or a sword on hand? For I brought neither my sword nor my weapons with me, because the king's matter was urgent. Okay, so... Um, we have here is you know this servant doeg the edomite was there and now david's looking for a weapon and he says yeah you know we left so fast that we didn't have any weapons no you left because you didn't have any weapons okay so again another fib going on right there okay and we left because the matter is urgent so what does the high priest say he says then the priest said the sword of goliath the philistine whom you killed behold it is wrapped in a cloth behind the ephod and if you would take it for yourself, take it. 
And of course, David looks at that sword, recognizes it, and says, you know, there's no sword like this. And so he does. He takes it. So now he's got a weapon. But he got a weapon by telling a lie. He got fed by telling a lie. So David continues his fearful journey alive and well. But the big question, Jonathan, is, is his condition based in righteous action? So what happens? Word, go ahead. Well, I, I, I had a question go ahead, go uh, ahead. From, from a Christian perspective. When someone is giving you credit that belongs to someone else, is it important for you to give the credit to the one deserving? Um, and usually it's the Lord that's deserving. Well, and, and yeah, you know, it really is. Because if you are taking credit, uh, you know, somebody just is, is blindly saying, you know, wow, what a great job you did. And look, maybe you did a great job. But, you know, you can say, you did a great job by the grace of God. Or I did a great job, and by the way, so-and-so and so-and-so and so-and-so were really a big part of that, and without them, it couldn't have been done. So, yeah, you know, that's part of the honesty. That's part of the integrity. It's not about pride. It's not about building me up. It's about building God up through proper representation of what is true. And David here is not really representing what is true. Now, he's trying to protect the guy, but it's not true. So what happens is word eventually gets back to Saul that David has seen Ahimelech. Saul seeks out Ahimelech to question him, and the priest tells the king that he knew nothing of David's being pursued by Saul. And he didn't know anything because David didn't tell him. Ahimelech defends David's character before Saul. I mean, he tells well, Saul. Well, that's, that's trouble because Jonathan yeah. tried that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and you see, and it almost got Jonathan killed. You're right. Right. But Ahimelech doesn't know that Saul is gone mad. And he's saying, David is one of your great servants. I mean, well, actually, let me, let's, let's just read it. 1 Samuel twenty two fourteen. Then Ahimelech answered the king and said, And who among all your servants is as faithful as David, even the king's son-in-law, who is captain over your guard and is honored in your house? So he just goes back. He's like, what do you mean David's in trouble? David is like the best guy you've got. And he's saying, everybody in Israel knows this. He's honored in your house. And then Ahimelech says, look, I didn't know anything about anything else except that David is an honorable man and you're the king. So Ahimelech restates his own innocence. And then what happens? Saul uh, has he and 84 others from his family killed. So Saul has 85 people massacred because he thinks that they helped David to get away from he, the king. Ahimelech was an innocent man. So now you've got the death of 85 individuals here. How sad. And you got to ask yourself, how did we get to that point? And we're going to get to getting to that point in a moment. Let's pause, okay? Because pause. And, you know, this next Matthew O'Reilly, you know, Am I Dying? The Honest Answer, the first responder who's saying, look, there's three things that people usually ask about or, or, or think about when they're dying. The first was asking for forgiveness. And here's the second thing. And I think this, this really kind of fits right here with our story. The second pattern I observe is the need for remembrance. Whether it was to be remembered in my thoughts or their loved ones, they needed to feel that they would be living on. There's a need for immortality within the hearts and thoughts of their loved ones, myself, my crew, or anyone around. Countless times I have had a patient look me in the eyes and say, will you remember me? 
again, that has got to be just one of the most heart-wrenching experiences a human being can go through. You know, when you're trying to help someone, trying to save their life, and you realize there's nothing you can do. And, you know, you, they're, they're dying, and they, you know, they just want to be remembered. They, they want to have meant something. And that's just such a, such a powerful thing. And, and again, by being honest with those individuals who are dying, he gave them the opportunity to express these things. And that's noble. That really is. That's awesome. Difficult, but noble. Now, again, back to David and this unrighteousness. Um, you know, he, he didn't act in the, in the best way here. And there were casualties, a bunch of casualties as a result. Um, one of Ahimelech's sons escapes the massacre. And we're going to read about that now. Selected parts of 1 Samuel 22, verses 20 to 22. But one of the sons of Ahimelech escaped and told David that Saul had killed the priests of the Lord. Then David said to Abiathar, I know on that day when Doeg the Edomite was there, that he would surely tell Saul, I have brought about the death of every person in your father's household. Now think about that. David, uh, you know, uh, Abiathar catches up with David, and David is incredibly sympathetic to him. And he says, I knew when I saw that guy that this wasn't going to go well. Then you got to ask yourself the question, then why did you do what you did? So again, that was not, when you look at that, you know, David admits the unrighteousness of his military tactic because he knew it wouldn't go well for Ahimelech. Why did he do it then? And Jonathan, I think he did it out of desperation. And and because of that desperation and not knowing what else, and they were hungry and they didn't have anything to defend themselves with, and, and by acting out of desperation, he put the lives of many others in danger, and, and, and they lost their lives. So this is a lesson about taking it too far. You know, okay, you've got the, you've got the ability to, to use your military tactics because you're a man of, of war. Great, but look what happens when you allow unrighteousness to overwhelm you and to take, take, take you away from where you belong. So even in the Old Testament where, you know, it was kill or be killed in so many situations with war, you know, it can go too far. As a Christian, different ball game, different war, warfare, different, different principles. We have to always be thinking on honest things. Philippians 4.8. Whatsoever things are true, whatsoever things are honest, whatsoever things are just, whatsoever things are pure, whatsoever things are lovely, whatsoever things are of good report, if there be any virtue, if there be any praise, think on these things. So, you know, we're looking at, at these experiences, and then we go back to the Christian principles. And Jonathan, the point is, we're going through difficult gray areas of life where righteousness sometimes prevails and unrighteousness sometimes prevails. We as Christians want to avoid all of that because our warfare is different. We are not trying to defend property or, 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 or things or even our own lives. Look at Jesus as the example. Look at Stephen. I mean, Stephen, Stephen didn't have to witness the way he witnessed before they stoned him to death, did he? No, he didn't. He didn't fear for his life because he knew his life was in the hands of God. That reminded me of the scripture, Psalms 45, 7, or Hebrews 1, 9. Paul reaffirms this. You have loved righteousness and hated wickedness. Therefore, God sets you above your companions and anoints you with the oil of gladness. Love righteousness, hate 
wickedness. Okay, so we really do have to get to the question about, you know, Christians acting in an unrighteous way. We'll do that at the beginning of the next segment. But right now, it sure seems that messing with clear truth always ends up really messy. You're right. That means it's time to clean up. What was the difference in the lies David told that made one a military tactic and the other an accessory to unjust killing? We're uncovering the truth scripture by scripture while gathering information from across today's media landscape with our vast CQ team of contributors. We want to hear from you, our listeners, for more contribution to our conversations. Talk to us at ChristianQuestions.com or message us through the Christian Questions app and our producers may read your comments over the air. Let's continue working through our topic with all our tools. We're reviewing the evidence. Now let's put it together. The difference between those two things was monumental. The first story was told to his enemy to flush out his enemy's position. The second was told to a friend and a priest of God. David told the story to protect him, but by his own admission, he also knew it would not hold up. This ended up being a well-intentioned wrongdoing. So, Jonathan, you can see that, you know, acting in an unrighteous way has consequences. And look, we're not perfect. Not one of us is even remotely close to perfect. We're going to make mistakes. Can God bless us in and our... Real. Go ahead. Yeah. You just, you just froze. So um, I'm going to keep going, Jonathan. Now you're, you're still frozen. Um, and let, let me go to the soundbite of Matthew O'Reilly. Am I uh, dying? Uh, the honest answer. This is the final soundbite. And, and Jonathan, I don't know you. I'm not sure if you need to reconnect because you, you're still frozen. But this is a minute and a half soundbite. Okay. So if you need to reconnect, do it, do it now. Okay. So this is Matthew O'Reilly. I am dying. The honest answer. The third piece of coming through and dealing with those who are facing death. The final pattern I observed always touched me the deepest, to the soul. The dying need to know that their life had meaning. They need to know that they did not waste their life on meaningless tasks. This came to me very, very early in my career. I had responded to a call. There was a female in her late 50s severely pinned within a vehicle. She had been T-boned at a high rate of speed. Critical, critical condition. As the fire department worked to remove her from the car, I climbed in to begin to render care. As we talked, she had said to me, there was so much more I wanted to do with my life. She had felt she had not left her mark on this earth. As we talked further, it would turn out that she was a mother of two adopted children who were both on their way to medical school. Because of her, two children had a chance they never would have had otherwise and would go on to save lives in the medical field as medical doctors. It would end up taking 45 minutes to free her from the vehicle. However, she perished prior to freeing her. I believed what you saw in the movies. You're in those last moments that is strictly terror, fear. I've come to realize, regardless of the circumstance, it's generally met with peace and acceptance. That is, the littlest things, the littlest moments, the littlest things you brought into the world that gives you peace in those final moments. And Jonathan, you know, the thing about that story that's so powerful is he would have never come to those conclusions if he had decided that he just he wasn't going to lie to people when they were dying. He would tell them the truth. Really 
powerful and inspirational. So as Christians, what are we supposed to do with all of this? Okay, what do we do with David taking it too far or with the military tactic that was okay? How do we put this all in perspective? Well, the first thing we need to do is realize that Jesus himself acknowledged David's hunger in the time he took it too far. He acknowledged David's hunger and seeking of the bread as a legitimate action. He actually talks about it in Mark chapter 2, verses 23 to 26. And it happened that he was passing through the grain fields on the Sabbath, and his disciples began to make their way along while picking heads of grain. The Pharisees were saying to him, Look, why are they doing what is not lawful on the Sabbath? So they, uh, the Pharisees are picking on them uh, because they're, they're eating these heads of grain on the Sabbath. And it's like, well, you're working. You shouldn't be working on the Sabbath. They were so focused on the little details of the law. And Jesus uses this example of David seeking bread as an answer. Verses uh, 25 through 26 of Mark 2. And he said to them, have you never read what David did when he was in need? And he and his companions became hungry. How he entered the house of God in the time of Abathar, the high priest, and ate the consecrated bread, which is not lawful for anyone to eat except the priests. And he also gave it to those who were with him. So Jesus talks about it and doesn't mention all of the other stuff. Doesn't mention, you know, the people dying and the the deception and, and all of that. It's interesting. He's drawing attention to the fact that it was okay to do something to preserve life. The honesty of seeking food was appropriate. What David did to get the food was not. And that's what we have to understand. And Jesus verifies the honesty of seeking that food. David wasn't stealing. He was asking for mercy and help. So first we realize Jesus acknowledged the hunger. And second, we have to realize, and and folks, this is, to me, this is the big, big point. Realize that David himself much later in life, looked back upon his life and took note of his costly errors and used them as teaching tools for others. The 119th Psalm, Jonathan, that is the longest chapter in the Bible. Yes, it's huge. Yeah, 176 verses. In the 119th Psalm, it's a compilation of many of David's experiences, one of which commentators say is this very issue, this very mistake, this very lie that cost the lives of those 85 people. So we're going to jump to Psalm 119, verses 25 to 32, which many say, is David thinking about this particular experience where the high priest lost his life because David uh, got him into a, a compromised position? Psalm 119, 25 to 32. My soul cleaves to the dust. Revive me according to your word. I have told of my ways, and you have answered me. Teach me your statutes. Make me understand the way of your precepts, so I will meditate on your wonders. My soul weeps because of grief. Strengthen me according to your word. Remove the false way from me, and graciously grant me your law. I have chosen the faithful way. I have placed your ordinances before me. I cling to your testimonies. O Lord, do not put me to shame. I shall run the way of your commandments, for you will enlarge my heart. Now, in in, in verse 29 that you were reading, it said, remove the false way from me. In the King James Version, it says, remove me from the way of lies and graciously grant me your law. In every one of these verses, Jonathan, it comes back to God's word. 
And David, as an older man, I really think that he's looking back on his life and he's kind of reminiscing and saying, you know, he's look, Jonathan, you and I, we both have gray hair. Let's face the fact, you know, no hiding from it, right? <laughs> or white. Yeah, yeah gray, <laughs> white, <man>. yeah. <laughs> but you know, you, you have years behind you and you tend to look back over your life and say, you know, back when I was in my 20s, and I can picture David doing this in the writing of the 119th Psalm. Maybe he's looking back saying, I should have slowed down. I should have thought more carefully. I should have spoken more prudently. I should have acted more resourcefully. But I was a kid. I was panicked. I remember. But knowing what I know now, there could have been another way. I would have done it differently. Right. Right. Now, did God bless David in spite of his, of his mistakes? Absolutely. Because David's heart always went back to God, and he can bless us in spite of our mistakes as long as our heart goes back to him. But if you think for a moment that he's going to bless you because of your half-truths or your lies or your deceptions, as a Christian, you have another thing coming. That is not the way of the Christian. But we are imperfect, and we fall into these things constantly. That's why we have prayer. That's why we have forgiveness. One last soundbite that's unrelated to the rest. This is Charles Leiter talking about, um, is it ever okay for a Christian to lie? Corey Ten Boone's sister. Now, Corey Ten Boone is famous for uh, the survival of the Holocaust and um, talking about her sister and a very, very important thing in terms of Germans back in World War II times coming and look for people to, to take to concentration camps. You know, Corey Ten Boom's sister strongly believed that you should not lie. Her brother, they had a trap door under the table, and uh, her brothers hid in that trap door when the Germans came, and um, they had a rug over the trap door and then the table sitting on it. And they said, where, where are your brothers? She said, they're under the table. They looked under there. They said, don't, don't play games with us. Well, actually, they were under the table. God protected them. So, you know, and that, that's, a, that's a really, really powerful, inspiring example of wanting to be truthful but not telling all of the details. You're trying to protect somebody. And the desire to be above board and to have integrity is something that should be in the forefront of every Christian walk and every Christian life. Can God bless us when we act in an unrighteous way? Yes, he can. Is it harder for him to bless us when we're acting unrighteously? Oh, yeah. <laughs> in, a, in a very big way. And, and, and you know, so we, we've got to be really careful. And it's so easy to look at the Old Testament and say, well, David did this, so I should be able to. No, 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 no. No, we've got to realize our battle is different. But we're thankful for the wake-up calls. When we do go down the wrong path, he, he quickly straightens us out and pushes us in the right direction. And sometimes those can be the best growth experiences of our Christian walk. Yeah, and even, even when we're in the formative years, you know, when we started out the podcast, I was talking about my dad and, you know, you know tell the truth and shame the devil and all of that. And I remember, and I think I may have shared this experience long ago on a, on a, on a radio broadcast way back when, but when I was a kid, I don't know, maybe we were, I was seven or eight or something, and my brother, who was two years younger than me, he and I were playing in the front yard. We had this old Buick, big black, you know, the, 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 it looked like it was like a tank, these things, the way they built them back then. Big black Buick parked in the, next to the drive. Our driveway at that point wasn't paved yet, it was just gravel. And for some 
unknown reason, the game was to throw rocks on top of the car. Why that was a game, oh, I, my. I don't know. <laughs> but it was really fun. So we're throwing rocks on top of the car. <laughs> and, and so I pick up this big rock, and I say, Dave, watch this. Because I figure I'm going to haul it up on the car, and he's going to think, because I'm the big brother, right? That, well, you're pretty cool. Well, it was too heavy, and I threw it, and I broke the side window, the, the side back window of the car. I was horrified. And, my, and, and I am ashamed of this, but my gut reaction was, oh, look what you did. Oh, no. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. We went running in the house, and I told my mother, David broke the window on the car. Now, poor kid. He's younger. He doesn't know what's going on. He ends up sitting in the corner, and I get to go back outside. And Jonathan, I was outside for maybe, I don't know, a minute. I couldn't even, I couldn't live with myself. It killed me. And I dragged myself back in and, you know, tail tucked between my legs. And I told my mom, I said, look, I said, I did it. David didn't do it. I did. And so David got to go out and play and I got punished. But I never forgot that. And, you know, it's the same kind of thing. You look back on your life and you look back on things and say, I did learn something from it. God can bless us when we act unrighteously, but we have to be careful that we don't dwell in the unrighteousness. We want to try to rise above it. So let's review the, the four points we talked about and then finish off with the, the last point as a Christian, what we should be doing. As a Christian, we should have an honest heart. Again, Luke eight fifteen from the first segment. But the seed in the good soil, these are the ones who have heard the word in an honest and good heart and hold it fast and bear fruit with perseverance. Have an honest heart. It doesn't mean you're perfect. It doesn't mean that you're always going to be honest. Maybe you're going to fall into to fibbing and lying and things like that because of the pressures of life. But if your heart is honest, and David's heart was honest, and that's why he was a man after God's own heart, because he had that honest heart. We need to have that as a basis to begin. What's the next point? Have an honest reputation. Wherefore, brethren... Look ye out among seven men of honest report, full of the Holy Spirit and wisdom, whom we may appoint over this business. All right. So when they looked for individuals to take on responsibility in the early church because the elders were so busy with the teaching and the expansion of the gospel, they didn't just pick people out of the crowd. They wanted those to be working next to the elders that had that honest reputation that people looked at and said, oh yeah, no, I know this guy from a long time. He's something, you, he is trustworthy. Not perfect, but trustworthy. So the honest heart, Jonathan, can bring us to a point of having an honest reputation. And that reputation is built over time. It's not a, you know, you're not a, a one-shot wonder there. It's built over time. What's the next point? Provide that which is honest. Romans 12, 7. Recompense to no man evil for evil. Provide things honest in the sight of all men. Okay, so we have that honest heart, which can help us to develop an honest reputation. And now you got to live it. you got to live it, and part of living it is providing that which is honest in the sight of all men. In other words, provide things that are, are you know, you, you don't make your living by skimming off the top, 
by 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 excess. You make your living doing things with honesty and integrity. This is the way we're supposed to live. Now, look, can we slip up on these things? Sure. Do we make decisions along the way that might be questionable? Probably. Can God bless us? Yes. Is he going to continue to bless us if we continue in that way? No. <laughs> it just comes down to focusing our lives the way they need to be focused. Um, think on honest things, Philippians 4.8. Uh, we're, we're running out of time. Sorry about that, Jonathan. And then last one is what? Speak honestly to all in 1 Peter 2.12. Having your conversation honest among the Gentiles, that whereas they speak against you as evildoers, they may by your good works, which they behold, glorify God in the day of visitation. And you know, that really is one of the things we need to look at and focus on, is speaking honestly to all, making sure that we put things in such a perspective that it's clear and, 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 and understandable before all. Folks, look, it's about being honest, and unrighteousness happens. It's okay. Get your heart focused back to God so that you can do things that will honor God with your every day. For Jonathan, Rick, and Christian Questions, hope you enjoyed being with us today. We've got another subject coming up next week, but until then, try not to act unrighteously. How's that? Be righteous and do things that bring, bring honor and praise to God. Till next week, think about it. And folks, we want to hear from you. Give us your feedback or send us your questions on this episode and other episodes at ChristianQuestions.com. Also, a big part of spreading the word about our program is subscribing to Christian Questions in iTunes or Google Play or Stitcher, whatever your favorite podcast channel is. Please rate us and review us. We'd greatly, greatly appreciate it. Coming up next week, we'll be talking about, has the gospel been corrupted? That's a question that needs answering. Come back and see us next week.